Job receives an answer from God in response to his repeated pleading and complaints about his misfortunes. A reading from the book of Job. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? On what laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Can you lift up your voice to the cloud so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heaven when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey when the young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed for this morning is Psalm 104. Found on page four of your service leaflet. Would you all please stand and sing?
through his obedience to God's will, Jesus became the new high priest for all eternity. Still, he knows and has compassion for our human weaknesses. A reading from Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is subject to weaknesses. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in other in another place, You are the priests forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. Over the past few weeks, we've been reading the book of Job, or from the book of Job. Um, the book of Job has for many years, for a long time, been very puzzling to people, particularly modern people. Um, Archibald MacLeish wrote a play called J.B. Um, that sort of looks like a, a Greek tragedy. Uh, Robert Frost wrote a long poem called A Mask of Reason. Um, and both of them come to the conclusion 
that God's a pretty nasty guy. Um, and, and not surprisingly, reading the parts of the book of Job that they do. It's important to understand how the book of Job is set up. It starts out with a little story, and the little story is a couple of chapters long. And then there's about 40 chapters of poetry, one long poem. And then it ends with a little snippet of the story again. Um, the story came first. The poem was written and put into the story. And the story has the form of a joke. Um, ancient readers would have recognized it. We would recognize it if it began, there was this guy who came into a bar. We immediately know that we're dealing with a joke, right? And in case we miss the joke, we're told at the beginning of the story that there was this guy named Job from the land of Uz who had 7,000 sheep, 50 yoke of oxen, 50 she-asses, and here's the punchline, 3,000 camels. Kings don't have 3,000 camels. So there was this guy from Uz with 3,000 camels, and in one day, bam, it was all taken from him, and yet he did not curse God. The point of the story is, you think you've got it bad. There was this guy, Job, from Uz, and he didn't curse God. Um, what makes the story puzzling, I mean, if you remember that it's a joke, okay, um, God says, you know, when the, the divine beings are gathered around, have you seen my servant Job, how righteous he is? And Satan says, yeah, and he has every reason to be. You've been really good to him, 3,000 camels after all. But let me touch his possessions and then we'll see. And so God says to Satan, sure, go ahead. Job doesn't curse God. And then the divine beings are gathered together again, and God says, have you seen my servant Job? Even though all that bad stuff happened to him, he still hasn't cursed you. And Satan says, yeah, fine, but skin for skin. Let me touch his body. Okay, but don't kill him. Still doesn't curse. And then the poem starts. And the poem starts with three friends arriving, and they sit silently for seven days. The smartest thing they say in the whole poem and then they start talking. And what they do to comfort Job is they say to him, surely somewhere along the line you must have sinned. Just confess it and get it over with. And Job says, no, I didn't. I refuse that answer. And last week we heard him say, if I were in the presence of God, I would make my case and God would vindicate me. And today God shows up. Now, the book of Job is answering a problem in Jewish theology or in Hebrew theology. When the people were carried away into exile, they began to wonder, why did God allow this calamity to happen to us? And the answer they came to is, because we messed up. And so they wrote the history of their kings. And if you ever go back and read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, there's this formula. And so-and-so began to reign in the, you know, something or other the year of his father. And he sinned worse than his father did, doing all of the things that his father did and more, setting up altars at the high places, and every king is worse than the last. That's why God carried us into exile, because we messed up. Job says, no, that's not the answer I'm going to put up with. It's easy for us... Um, when bad things start to happen, to think like Job's friends. Surely, I must have messed up. It would be easy to think, 
where did we mess up? And Job says no. His friends want him to just admit the sin, offer a sacrifice, and be done with it. And he said, there is no sin to admit. I, I don't accept that answer. And so the end of the book, God shows up. Job says, if only I were in God's presence, God would answer me. And when he thinks he's about to die, he said, oh, that my words were graven in stone with a lead um, stylus. I know that God would vindicate me. And God shows up. Shows up to him in a whirlwind. Same way God shows up to Moses and Elijah. So Job now enters, you know, the holiest of the holies among the people of Israel. And he doesn't die. We're told in the Old Testament, when God shows up, be ready to die. Because, boy, that's, that's bad news. He doesn't die. God doesn't scold him either. It's not, it doesn't sound like very, very warm language, but these chapters are among my favorite in the Bible. Where were you when I created the world? Did you see on what I sunk the pedestals? Did you see me put the oceans in their appointed places? Can you say to the clouds, make it rain? Can you provide prey for the raven? See that hippopotamus over there, behemoth, how evil he is, and yet I made him as part of my world. See that crocodile, leviathan? Can you put a hook in his nose and lead him around, and yet I made him to be part of my world? Sounds like a non-answer. <clears throat> but Job, poetry works this way, he puts his hand over his mouth, and then he says to God with his hand over his mouth, I saw, I, I've heard before with my ears, but now I have seen with my eyes. I sit in dust and ashes. I am nothing. Whenever I get to feeling like the world's beaten up on me, I go back to these chapters and remind myself that I didn't create the world. The sun is going to come up tomorrow. The mountains are still beautiful. The stars are still going to sing tonight. And it doesn't depend on me. It's awfully arrogant of us to think that God notices the stupid, petty little things we do and beats us down for them. No. Job's answer is no answer. I don't know why these things happen. They happen. But look at the big picture. Get yourself out of the middle of the picture and see the beauty of it. That's what we need to do. God does, however scold Job's three friends. He says, you were dead wrong. Job was innocent all along, and you were wrong to suggest that he sinned. Now, each of you owe him a sacrifice. Take a bull and have a feast with Job to be restored to his good graces. So Job says to us, get out of the center of the picture. Look at how beautiful the world is, and quit your griping. God's not smacking you down for something that you did. The passage from Hebrews talks about a high priest coming into the presence of God to make intercession for the people, and that the high priest can sympathize with the people because he's one of them. Just like them, he does stupid things, petty little things, and so he can sympathize. And Jesus, the great high priest, can sympathize because he submitted to all of that too and comes into the presence of God and beseeches God on our behalf. Then we get to the gospel, and after all that we've read so far about power and, and where it's located and, and how wrong we can get it, James and John still don't get it. When you come into your glory, can we sit at your right hand and at your left hand? Now, there's a wonderful little pun in Greek that doesn't come across in English. 
the word that James and John used for left has the overtones of ill-omened. Um, it's like the Latin word sinister for left, ill-omened. When Jesus replies, he uses a different word for left. He doesn't want to use the word ill-omened. He uses exactly the opposite, good-omened, evonimos, which is a circumlocution for left. It's a rare word in Greek used for, the, for left. It occurs one other time in Mark's gospel. You guessed it when describing the thieves crucified one on his right and one on his left. It's not for me to say who gets to sit there, but for those for whom it has been appointed. Now, if James and John really knew what they were asking, would they have asked it? Here is Jesus sitting in his glory, one on his right and one on his left. You can be sure that if a friend of Job's had bad things happen to him, Job would not have said to him, surely you've sinned, just sacrifice and get beyond with it. He would know better. We, called into a priestly people, are supposed to offer prayers on behalf of the world. Like James and John should have figured out by now, that's going to involve us and being part of that world all the way like God was part of the world in Jesus. And so, what we're supposed to do with that, then, is have compassion. The Roman Catholics, of course, have this, this theory that you can offer up your suffering. I have a friend whose knee is kind of arthritic right now, and he emailed me and said, just think of all of the souls getting out of purgatory because of this knee of mine. We can't do that. That's not what it's about. But when we know what the world is going through, we can be compassionate and bring those concerns here to the presence of God and intercede with God on behalf of the world. Not say, gee, you must have sinned, but to say, yes, I've been through it. Let me offer prayers for you. Amen.